Sports are such a big part of all of our lives, from the big plays to the unforgettable games. They continue to inspire us in unimaginable ways. But what happens to the athletes, the warriors and heroes of our time, when the game is finally over and the sport they love and worked their entire lives pursuing greatness at continues on without them? How do they cope with the transition? How do they find purpose, reclaim their identity, and work towards a vision of the future? As a former professional athlete, playing in the NFL for eight seasons, I know the unique challenges that these athletes face. On this podcast, these athletes will share their stories and how they navigate life beyond the game. Welcome, everyone, to another Life Beyond the Game podcast. Today, I have a very special guest. He is a good buddy I've gotten to know over the last couple of years. He is an NFL transition coach who's helped me on my journey through my own transition. And he's provided a lot of value for the new company that I'm building to provide a community for former male professional athletes on the journey. And his name is Ken Ruckers. And he played um, a little bit before my time. Um, but he had an illustrious career with the Green Bay Packers. He played college ball with USC. He was a top 10 pick, I think the seventh overall as an offensive lineman. That's pretty spectacular. He was uh, voted into the Green Bay Packers Hall of Fame. I think at one point he won offensive MVP. So he was a really good player. Um, and he's really passionate about the transition process and helping guiding guys through. He actually created his own nonprofit at one point to help um, people on the journey and former players. And he's still currently providing value to the NFL as a official NFL transition coach. He's provided a ton of value to me on my journey. I met him a couple of years ago through the transition program and he supported me in a big way. And on this podcast, we have an amazing conversation. He provides a ton of value. He's very smart. He's very educated. He's written a couple of books. He's currently a teacher and he knows the ins and outs of everything about transition and what guys deal with and the unique challenges that come along with it. Uh, he shares his own personal journey through his transition, the difficulties that he, that he faced, how he got through them, and he provides a ton of advice and value to those who might be struggling. And he definitely helped provide value to me. And I really hope you guys enjoy this conversation. All right, Ken, what's up, man? Thanks for coming on the show. Great to be here with you, Joe. Yeah, man. Um, it's been really good to connect with you over the last couple of years and uh, get to know you. And um, you're definitely in this space of transition. And I'm really excited to kind of talk to you and, and uh, you know, get you to share some of your wisdom on the process of transition and, and add in some advice to to a lot of the guys that might be going through a difficult time or some challenging times. But, um, you know, let's first briefly kind of talk about who you are and a little bit about your professional career. I know you've had a very illustrious career, so we can get into that a little bit and then we'll dive into uh, your transition journey. Great. Yeah. So uh, I grew up in California, went to USC, um, was a five-year guy at USC, um, blew my knee out my senior year. And then got my freshman year back retroactively, which made all the difference in the world. Ended up being a first-round draft pick, um, number seven overall with the Packers. And then ended up playing that's big time, man. Uh, Well, yeah, it's big time now. I mean, it was big, but it it wasn't as big time as it is when guys come out. Yeah, it wasn't like like life-changing, ridiculous money at that time. Well, it was, you know, it was right after the NFL uh, I mean, the USFL was was pushing salaries up in the NFL. So at the time, it was That's huge good. money, you know. Yeah. But compared to now, it's freaking. Oh, did I drop that money in your couch? <laughs> I, you know. But um. <laughs> but yeah, played all twelve years with the Packers. You know, some really lean years. Uh, when I first got there for the first half of my career, and then uh, Ron Wolf, the general manager of mine, came in. Brett Favre and. Reggie White and all those guys. And so we were able to get to the Super Bowl. And that was my last year, which um, I ended up retiring. Uh, I played my last game, the tw- I think it was the 12th, 
12th week of that season and my knee was just, I, my body was beat. My knee was just wasn't going to do it anymore. Mm. So how, so injuries played a role and you ended up walking away because your body was just so, so broken down? Yeah. You know, I'd had probably at least five or six, uh, clean outs starting my freshman year, uh, at USC and just over the, over the course of a bunch of years, you know, more clean outs in that lateral compartment just gets worn down for left tackle outside knee, I guess it's better than, in, than your inside leg. But, um, my last, my second to last year, I had surgery after the season to do a clean out and it just never really responded. Couldn't go full speed, couldn't run full speed, um, just sharp pain. So I went in the, I went in at the, right before training camp started and I was thinking, it just isn't going to happen physically. It's not going to happen. So I went in to retire and they said, well, you, would you be willing to try one more surgery on your knee to see maybe there's some scar tissue in there. I'm like, well, you don't have to twist my arm very hard. I mean, I think this team's a great team and I think we're going places this year. And yeah. So they did some, you know, put me on uh, unable to perform. And, and uh, then I came back about the, well, the eighth or ninth week and uh, played in a couple games and then started against Dallas. Uh, in a big game in Dallas and I needed crutches just to get off the field at the end of the game. It mm -hmm. just was, and I was like, I can't do this. And so I could have melted, it, um, you know, then done the whole back on IR thing. And, but it was just like, you know what? I was done. I was mm -hmm. done. I was, I was, you know, 12 years and trying to do my best. And I just, I didn't want to play hurt. I didn't want to play, you know, um, subpar and, uh, and I didn't want to milk it anymore. So it was a hard decision for sure. Yeah. Talk about that decision a little bit. Cause it seems like you really, if your body was healthy, you really wanted to keep playing obviously. So how did you deal with, you know, this, this kind of forced decision to choose your health, um, over, you know, your love for the game and, and how, how did you deal with that? Yeah. I mean, I did. I love the game. I mean, it was, you know, it was love hate relationship. Like, you know, totally. a lot of experience, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I just, it wasn't gonna, it just wasn't gonna happen. I mean, I'm in, you know, I'm walking downstairs. I'm, it just, uh, in fact, um, yeah. So I think at 52, I had a knee replacement, um, which was a few years ago. And so, um, yeah, it was just, it just was ugly. It wasn't good. Uh, now it's interesting. A couple years before, as soon as I had finished my tenth year, my wife was ready to call it quits. Mm. And uh, we talked about, you know, hey, if I can just get ten years, if I can just get ten years, of course, you know, then you get ten. You, like, oh, I just want, you know, maybe two more. And you know, mm. it's uh, and she put her foot through through the. She was so angry that I was going to keep playing. She put her foot through the through the um, wall in our house in Green Bay. <laughs> mm. And she said, I'm not fixing this hole in this wall board until you're retired. And it just sat there for two years. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, talk about that a little bit because, you know, I don't think people on the outside understand the challenges that it, it takes to play in a professional level, the amount of energy it takes, the stress that comes with it, the time commitment. I mean, it's a 24-7 job and the ones we love and the ones that are, you know, part of our families, it really takes a toll on them as well coming home. And every time you come home during the season, especially you don't want to do anything. You just want to sit on the couch because you got to recover your body and you got to unplug as much as you can. Um, so talk a little bit about that and the journey of finally coming to that decision and, and how hard it was. Well, I think a couple of things first. Yeah. You, I think you do know how hard it is uh, when you're in it, but yet, you know, looking back now, both of us, my wife and I, um, we look back now and we think how, you know, the demands, you know, on, on the player, the demands on the wife, from the public, from the, from the league, from the team, from husbands, neighbors, relatives. And you look back with some distance, you go, wow, the demands that were placed on us. And, and then the, the, the normalized response that was expected that we would come through for people, whether it was charity organizations or 
<clears throat> you know, and how you're supposed to act, how you're supposed to behave, what you're supposed to say. Um, there's a lot of pressure on marriages, on families, on players, and on their wives. And so after 10 years, my wife had been like, I'm just, I'm exhausted. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's a lot of pressure coming from a lot of different angles on your marriage, on your family, uh, on the player, on the wife, a lot of um, expectations. Mm. And how did that shift when you finally uh, walked away from the game? Because then it comes like, turns into a different, more unique challenge where all of a sudden you don't have that kind of fame and that limelight on you. And that's hard. You know, our mm -hmm. egos take a little bit of a hit in our identities. And they're like, who am I with, without this thing that I've been working so hard my entire life pursuing greatness at? So how did you handle that, tr that transition initially? Because I know you, you didn't really want to walk away and you had to make that hard decision. And then over the few years after your transition, like how did you kind of grow out of that and find yourself again? Yeah, I mean, I think at first it was like a honeymoon period, you know, like, uh, yeah. freedom, you know, I know you can relate to that, Joe. Totally, yeah. <laughs> I mean, when I, when I um, first, you know, got to know you a little bit and that you'd named your dog Freedom, I'm like, and, and, and it was from the way I just, I'm like, I know exactly where <laughs> yes. that guy's, and I think a lot, of, I mean, you know, it, it, it rules your life. You know, and in a good love-hate way, you know, obviously. But yeah, at first it was like, ooh, this is like a honeymoon. You know, I can do what I want. And then all of a sudden, the phone's not ringing. Uh, people aren't, you know. Um, and for me, personally, you know, walking away from the game like that, like, you know, in the way that I did, um, I think a lot of, I, I think, I think a lot of guys can relate to this because part of what, part of the achievement of climbing the mountain we did in the NFL was being able to overcome the challenges and obstacles that other people along the way couldn't. They mm. quit, they fell off the mountain, you know, working toward the summit. They got disinterested. They said, it's not worth it. And yet we all kept, you know, slogging along and finding different, if we had a, a barrier, we found ways around it. And so that last year for me, I couldn't find a way around it. And, and, you know, based on some of, some of my past experiences, some of the baggage I took with me, I felt a lot of shame, you know, for having quit, you know, mm. quit. I mean, I couldn't do it anymore. And I was kind of one of those guys that was like, hey, if you can crawl out on the field, you can play, mm. you know, but yeah, crawling isn't playing. And so, but I still had that, that false belief in my head. And, and so there was a lot of shame, uh, you know, on being in the community and shame within my family from on me. Not that they put it on me. It's just that's what I felt. Yeah, it's an internal struggle, right? Yeah. And that's kind of what the game, like to make it to that level, you have to have that kind of attitude. And they almost instill it in you from a young age. Like if you're not completely hurt, you got to be out on the field contributing. And even if you were hurt, there's almost like this conflict of interest with the doctors because they're you know, they're best in, they're, they're interested in getting you out there for the product on the field. So if you're really hurt, they're really like, you know, when can you play, like get out there as soon as you can. And a lot of us, you know, know how to push through the pain. And so we'd be out there before we were hundred percent and that, you know, over time takes its toll. And then that kind of goes in when you do say like, like, I can't do it anymore. I mean, that really internal struggle is so strong. So how did you end up working through that? Well, I'm probably still working through a little bit of it here and there. I mean, we, you know, we have this baggage that we bring in It's part of, like you said, I mean, it's great insight on your part that as part of what makes us great, right. Is that we're kind of sick enough to make the cut, you know, I mean, I had kids that went through high school. One of them ended up playing college um, basketball uh, on a scholarship, but um, the other two didn't. And I told my wife, I said, well, you know, maybe we raised them emotionally balanced and healthy. I mean, they just weren't willing to, they weren't <laughs> That's willing a good to, way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. They weren't willing to do the crazy, you know, things that it takes, you know, that, and where does that fuel, you know, where does the fuel that, that the passion, where does that come from? Where an average, maybe an average balanced person would go, you got to do all that to make it into the league. That's crazy, right? And then you start getting into like the more psycho philosophical, you know, the Thanatos and the Eros and the love and the hate and the, you know, of the challenges of, of 
you know, internal, and I don't want to get into that, but um, kind of the hero's journey perspective of, of things. But um, yeah, I think, um, you know, it was embarrassing, you know, to it, it, what, what it ended up resulting in is a lot of isolation. I didn't want to go out into public. I didn't want to, you know, interact with, with uh, relatives, even my father-in-law and my dad. A lot of the stuff, a lot of our relationship, because it'd been, you know, I mean, I met my father-in-law while I was playing uh, college and then pros. And my dad, you know, had been, you know, decades of playing uh, football. And so our relationship in many ways, the foundation of that was football, was sport and performance. And that was kind of the center of our, you know, foundation of our conversation. And all of a sudden now that's gone. Mm. And it's like, well, something's changed in the relationship. You know, something's changed in my life and that's going to change relationships, right? A systemic, um, a systems kind of view of which I, I adhere to, you know, it's like if, if something changes in my life, especially to the degree of, of, of a, leaving football, that kind of a transition or change is going to change relationships. Absolutely. I mean, uh, it's like the story of who we are, our identity is wrapped up in football. And then when we walk away, we have to retell ourselves a story of who we are. And that takes time. And it's very difficult, especially at such a high pinnacle, high achieving, such a, a sport that's the limelight of our culture and everybody looks up to. So it's a huge fall from grace. But then what people don't realize is there's the story other people's have of who you are and that shifts as well. So it could be very disorienting. I mean, I had a very similar experience with my parents. I mean, they really, it created a lot of separation almost. I mean, but it was one thing like me and my dad, like it was one thing we really talked about and we didn't really have much else to talk about. And then when it was over, it was like, okay, how do I connect with them on, on that level? And it's taken a lot of work for me to heal that relationship, but it's actually gotten to a point now where it's actually really beautiful because now that thing, that lens in which they viewed me as this like professional athlete is no longer there. And now I feel like I'm becoming their son again, which for me personally is something I always really desired. And to really find that connection again has been really beautiful. Um, so how did you work through that with your, with your family and connections? Is it something you kind of, it took time obviously, but what was that journey like? Yeah, so um, uh, did some counseling with a, uh, a pastor and a friend who's a, who is a licensed counselor, um, and just kind of worked through that uh, some of those issues. In fact, I think that was part of the um, one of, one of the things I did as I <clears throat> as I got close to knowing that end was near. I I asked three friends that had really close friends, you know, locker room buddies that I'd played with and been in the trenches with and done the battles with you know they had they had retired and they were trans they have transitioned i said if there's one thing one tip one must do and i asked them separately and uh each one of them said the same thing what's the one thing to do when you go get counseling i'm like mm. what are you kidding me man i got such a good marriage and this <laughs> <laughs> yeah, telling yourself all these stories about how everything's so good. Yeah, where does that resistance come from to counseling? Because that's like a stigma in our in our society and culture, especially as men. Correct. Yeah, I mean, why I don't need help? And although, I mean, it's crazy, right? Because we take coaching help, we take training help, we take equipment guy help, we take, you know, uh, yeah. I mean, and so I look at it kind of like, hey, look, if. Uh, if you know you want to get become a better ball player, you get coaching. If you want to have a better marriage, go get coaching. We call that counseling. That's got a bit of a stigma for guys, right? But you know, you mm -hmm. talk about I talk about my dad, and and I eventually sat down with him, and we had a heart to heart, and it didn't go as well as I wanted it to, and it kind of was what it was. And then I had decisions to make, you know, which were you know, how do I love my dad? you know, when the depth of his relational connection was not as deep as I was longing for or wanting. Mm. And so then it became one of those, well, if you're, if, if you're, if there's 10 fathoms of depth and he's, a, and because of his life experiences, he can only get to two or three and that's as much as he can tolerate, but I'm longing for a seven or eight or nine or deeper depth, then you can't pull a person down 
it's almost like they've got this life jacket on and you're trying to, you know, and then, and then, so then it becomes like, okay, this is what that person's capable, capable of, at least for now, where can I meet them? Can I make a decision to love them and meet them there, even though it may at times be painful or less than I, than ideal. Yeah. I have a very similar journey with my parents and my dad as well. And it's, I've gotten to a point where, you know, I've always wanted them to see me and, you know, hear me and know me on a deeper level. And I felt like they weren't receiving that. And so it created this energetic block. And I realized that I wasn't allowing them to be who they are. And I wasn't seeing them. And so it was almost like a mirror, like the thing I wanted so bad from them, I wasn't offering to them. And I think part of my healing journey with that and reconnecting with them was understanding that I can't pull him down. And there's nothing I can say to guide him deeper because he's just not ready for that kind of connection. And for whatever reason, it's just part of the culture and society that he's grown up in. And being able to have compassion with where he's at and love him where he's at has actually re-energized our connection. And so now it's fascinating to witness how the more I show up and see him and love him where he's at, it, it, he can, he's able to receive my love and it, it reopens this connection. And it's definitely not the depth I really desire. Um, but it's really cool to feel that energetic love still and connection because I know there's that deep love at, at every level when it's family. There's, there's that unconditional love that's always there. And so it's just trying to find that through all the stories that we tell ourselves that disconnect us. And it's fascinating now that I have a baby boy on the way. Um, it's really cool to think about that, that connection that I desire so much with my, my father and that father-son connection, I have an opportunity to create that from the other angle where I can be the father and re- recreate that connection that I so desired growing up, which is really beautiful. Yeah, and then the other thing that's wonderful as the father of kids is when they have their own kids, and this will be true, I think, for your dad, where you will hit a moment in your parenting, I think, I mean, it's very common, where you get to your your son will get to an age where you start where you start to remember your earliest memories, and then you'll have a greater and new appreciation and a, a, a jump in your relationship with your parents, especially your dad, because you being the father. But yeah, but All you know, marriage is, makes sense, right? Yeah, mar- I mean that's the cycle, right? <laughs> But you know, marriage, you know, we talk about like family, whether it's, I had two, I have two brothers and a sister. So that changed, you know, to some degree, my relationship with them, but you know, the marriage relationship, you know, or the significant other, uh, in your life. I mean, that relationship changes as well. And our wives have their identity if they've been around the game for long enough and kids. I mean, my oldest was eight years old when, uh, when I left the game and and he was still kind of like BMOC, big man on campus in Green Bay because his dad was a player. He had status and social capital because of what I did. And then about a year and a half after uh, I retired, I took a job with a publishing company out in Oregon. And we moved out to Oregon. Well, Oregon didn't have any pro teams. I mean, they're into a lot of things. I mean, he totally lost all of his status and I could see him going, struggling through his own transition, his identity, right? Mm. So, yeah, it's, it really is, is quite a, you know, a, a boot to the head for, for guys and their families, you know. Yeah, it's really unique, right? It comes with so many unique challenges. And it, the ripples of it are not just our journey, but it's everybody that's connected to us. And it's hard to relate to normal people, I think in everyday life to understand what that experience is like. And so even isolates you even more because you can't go talk to your friends. Uh, you can't talk, you know, sometimes to your wife because she's not really understanding the internal journey and even going to a therapist or a counselor, like they're really not sitting from a place of understanding. They can hold space and, and provide advice and listen to you, but it's really like a unique experience and not a lot of people go through it. Um, talk about your journey. What, like, why did you decide to go to a publishing company? And talk about your journey of trying to find that, that mm-hmm. purpose and direction um, after football and trying to, to re-identify yourself and find new passions. Yeah, so we were, you know, so I'm sitting here in Green Bay and, and I'm, I've, I've committed to even though it's like, ah, man, I can't stand being here. And, and the fans were still somewhat driving me nuts in the media. And but I had, you know, good neighbors and, and uh, 
but I was kind of like, what am I going to do? And went through some bouts of depression. Um, my wife was concerned, you know, um, about maybe, you know, that I would commit suicide, which I never would do, but she's still concerned mm-hmm. about that possibility. And just kind of feeling like, you know, my best days are behind me. Um, you know, kind of that, that um, social construction of provider, father, husband, you know, and I did that. And now what, what's my worth mm. uh, to my family? What's my worth to the world? You know, will I ever find anything bigger, greater, more meaningful, more purposeful than, than playing football? And uh, we were getting ready to move back to California to the central coast to kind of be close to family. But I started getting kind of cold feet on that because it was like, well, I'm going to move there for family, but I still got the problem of what am I going to do with myself? I still bring myself with me, you know, and I still don't have a purpose. I've moved to a great, you know, central coast, California, close to family, but that's not a full-time mission, you know, that that it really is not so, but I'd written a book and, and the publisher was Multnomah publishers. Um, and they were in Oregon as beautiful in Oregon. And so, um, I got a call from the gentleman who owned the publishing company and I went out for an interview and I'm like, Hey, all right. And that was kind of interesting, right? Because here I am 35, 36 years old. Uh, I was 36 and uh, never worked a full-time year-round job in my life. You know, I'd worked like oil fields, cotton fields, uh, did some real estate appraising. Um, and I really thought I was, I was kind of the, what I thought of as the poster boy for transition. Cause in the off season, I went back and got my master's in business and I wrote a book and I did speak. I'm, I was like all ready to, to be transitioned and kick butt. Right. And then you get there and you're like, oh man, this is hard. So, um, but I ended up, we ended up moving out to Oregon and I took a job and it's like, after about six months of, of five days a week, 40 plus hours a a week of, of working in a co-ed environment, you know, in an office, I'm like, okay, six months. And I've been, I've been working at a sprinter's pace because that's what we do in football. Right. And I'm like, okay, where's the off season? And I remember, you know, my first, my first check was like, oh yeah, let's see here. Uh, this looks like a per diem check. Is this what we call a paycheck in the real world? What the heck? (laughs) So there's definitely adjustments, um, for sure. And I guess going in at first, I was pretty, pretty nervous about, you know, do I have what it takes? I mean, I know I can play football. I mean, I know I can, you know. Um, do I have what it takes to be successful in this new arena of, you know, and part of me thought, Oh heck yeah. I mean, you know, look what I, I mean, look what I conquered, look what I did, look at the percentages, you know, and, and, um, and one thing I did, one thing I did find out or I did, I did experience is that people in the business world, uh, they have developed incredible skills and they have incredible talents as well. They're just not, they just are not as obvious as the talent that we see on the football field or that as we watch film or, you know, of guys. So I, you know, get into this space and I think, oh, I'm going to conquer this. Part of me is like, I'm going to conquer it. The other part of me is like fearful. I'm going to, I'm going to fail. Mm. So kind of a, so yeah. There's two sides of us, right? I think that's what, there's always two sides of it too. I think that's what made, for me, such a good football player was there's this side when I first got into the league that I felt like I was an imposter, like I didn't belong. And it, I needed that for myself to show up every day and continue to get better. But then there was a side of me that thought, I'm the best player on this field. Like nobody can beat me. And I needed that confidence to end up to show up and play with the best in the world. But I don't think without the balance of both of those, I don't think we'd be successful because if we attach too much, like I can't do this, I don't belong, then you'll end up fizzling out. But if you say I'm the best in the field and this is nobody's going to beat me and you start getting beat, you know, are you arrogant or cocky? You won't fit into the team atmosphere and you'll get kicked out. So it's all about finding that balance. And when you get into the real world, you know, that, I think that's another unique challenge that a lot of guys face is if they play into their 30s, then they get into the business world or some other experience that they want to go after. Their peers have been doing that thing for 10, 12, 15 years and they have all that experience. And it's really a hit to our egos to have to start over 
and get new experience because you can't teach experience. And so you kind of have to like show up with this novice attitude, which is really hard when you reach the pinnacle of the thing you've performed your whole life. Yeah. Well, that and you think because you reach the mountaintop here, I don't have to go down and then climb back up. I can just jump over the top, you know, from the top to the top. But um, I mean, you definitely have some advantages of the skills and the, and the um, experiences you've developed and, and the cachet of the social capital that you played in the NFL. Um, but, you know, I mean, I came in and, um, and I figured it out. And six months later, uh, I got promoted to editorial director. So now I'm, I'm managing a team of 16 editors, copy editors, um, production managers, so and doing some acquisitions, which is really cool. So going out and seeing if I could, you know, hook an author, you know, and help them develop an idea in a book. And it was, what a great learning experience. I was on the, the titling committee, uh, the, the cover, you know, committee, the publishing committee, and, and then managing. So um, I learned a lot about myself, learned that, yeah, I, I did have what it takes, and then learned about the business world, learned about people. I mean, it's just incredible. So I think you learned, mostly I learned about myself. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think a lot of the, like the skills like that we, you know, blocking somebody and keeping somebody from getting from point A to point B or moving them out of the way for someone to run by you. It's not a really transferable skill into the real world, unless you're a bodyguard, I guess. But even then, but the intangibles that we learn, the mindset it takes, like being able to overcome failure and doubt and our self-limiting beliefs, all of that stuff, if you focus on that and refocus that energy into the new thing that you want to do, you realize that your ability to handle failure is way higher than like a normal person. Your ability to overcome the doubt and the self-limited belief and the eagerness to learn and seek out coaching and, and take coaching and criticism. I think all of those things, if you focus on that, you can really accomplish greatness in anything you want to put your mind to because you've accomplished greatness at one of the toughest things to do in our society. I think a lot of people lose that because they get, you know, can I do this? This is something that I'm so... But I think if you go with that open mind of I'm here to learn as much as I can and seek out that wisdom from mentors and stuff, you can really accomplish anything. Um, but talk about your your journey with that. So is that was that fulfilling? And how long did you end up doing that? Yeah, so... Oh, yeah. I thought... Yeah, it was, I loved it. It was great. It was, it was challenging. Um, it was fun because I'm teaching and managing... Um, kind of coaching up um, and I get to go out and kind of, uh, you know, acquisition or acquire an author and an idea and take it to, you know, to the marketplace and be part of the team. And we had a great environment. Um, but then uh, after about three years, <clears throat> um, I had a, um, a good friend that I, that we both started in the league at the same time. And I was the left tackle and he was the left guard and we played next to each other for a couple of years. And he ended up getting shot. Uh, he was unarmed and ended up getting shot and killed in a, in a police standoff, in a, in a SWAT standoff in Fresno, California. He played for Fresno State. And it was a sh such a shocker. Uh, mm. This is probably about five years after I left the game. And so a bunch of us got on the phone, offensive linemen, and like, what's did you see this coming? The guy kind of went off the deep end. And, you know... Um, and, you know, the story kind of came out that he was isolated, he was alone, he was depressed, um, he had just gotten married and had a, uh, a baby, but he was, you know, didn't have a job. And and so he was, you know, wrestling with those demons. <clears throat> and, uh, and but there was, there was little to no support, and he isolated himself. And so I thought, man, what, you know, this was back in 2000. And I said, is there anybody that, are, that is doing anything out there for guys once they leave the game? You know, there's, you know, NFL has been doing programs for active players for decades. But what are they doing for guys, you know, once they leave that you now they're isolated? Nothing. You know, there was a couple of attempts here and there, but nothing that was sticking. <clears throat> and so I decided to start a nonprofit and, uh, and leave the publishing and do that full time. Mm. And how did that, how did that journey go? Uh, when you, I mean, that's, you know, finding that new passion and, and purpose to really provide value and be of service. I know 
is, is really fulfilling. I mean, obviously it took a, you know, a sad moment losing your friend to get to that point, but how did that journey go getting into that kind of field? I know there's a lot of challenges with it. Um, so talk a little bit about that journey when you started that company. Yeah. So, um, you know, I had, um, in, I think 94, uh, the Packers had brought in some outside consultants to, to our, to us as active players to vote, to start to work on that transition or life after the game, life beyond the game. And, uh, yeah, that's a tough one. You know, nobody wants to be in training camp. They're trying to make the team, not get cut from the team. <laughs> like, yeah, I yeah. don't want to talk to you. You know, you are you are the Grim Reaper. You are Doctor Death. I mean, nobody wants to go to a dying well conference, right? That's just not going to mm. be very popular. <laughs> uh, a lot of people don't understand it. Like when you're in the league, it's it's like, well, you have to have a, a plan B. You have to have a plan for when you're done. But it's almost if you let yourself do that, you have to make it in that kind of high intense competitive environment, you have to be so singularly focused on performing. And so there's almost no room unless on the off season, like you like doing some secondary education stuff, but that still doesn't prepare you for the actual journey of when it's all over. No, I mean, I don't know that there's, there's much that can prepare you. I mean, it's, you know, it's just like going into marriage, you know, how how do you tell really about being a parent? You know, it's like you can read all the books about it. You can ask people and, they, you know, there's good, there's some good practical tips and stuff. But but how do you really know it? You don't know what it's like to be a dad, Joe. I mean, you're getting ready right until you're up to your elbows in baby poop. Right. And you and you had like a <laughs> week wait. of sleepless nights. And, you know, <laughs> you're like, <Yeah. laughs> you know, uh, or the joys, you know, of this little kid that like looks to you as like the protector and the, yeah, it's just, it's crazy. Um, so, um, but anyway, yeah. So I, I lost place of where we were at, but yeah, the journey of, of starting the, the nonprofit oh, and, yeah. and how that went yeah, and getting so, guys help. Yeah. So there were other models, you know, so it's like, what's my business model. So I decided to try a nonprofit business model. I mean, I knew there were going to be challenges with that as well. And so, I did that for um, eight years. You know, got a board of directors, um, put some retired players on it, some guys that were in the league. Um, and, uh, you know, my biggest thing, I think, was kind of what you're doing a little bit is uh, what I saw the biggest need. And I still think I think you're right on target um, <clears throat> in seeing that the biggest need is for guys to know they're not alone in their transition, that what they're going through is common and normal in normalizing that transition and the challenges and, and that they will make it like, like guys that have gone before them. And that was kind of my, my, uh, and so I went back and got my PhD, uh, in, in sociology and actually did a dissertation, doctoral dissertation, about 230 pages of, of, uh, academic research on fi- trying to find that silver bullet you know, to mm. <laughs> how to help guys transition. And, and, you know, ultimately like all the other, uh, like the, there's not a lot of, uh, of studies out there on that, but the few that, that there are, you know, the ultimate end result was transitions hard. And this is a hard transition and we do, we'll do transition throughout our lives, but this is a really tough one. Yeah. Yeah. I found that, you know, for me, in my experience, and that's why I'm, you know, creating this this company to provide community is we're such high achieving, high performing individuals. And then when we're in the NFL, we're surrounded by the best in the world who are some of the most high achieving, high performing individuals. So it's almost like a normal experience for us to be around that kind of people that know what it takes. And so you get used to that because it's all you know. And as you grow, it's not like you go through a period where you're not a part of that. I mean, from when we were kids and we started playing all the way up until we're done. And then all of a sudden when we're done, we don't have a locker room. We don't have the coaching. We don't have support. We just are really isolated and alone. And we're, we don't know how to seek help or even find a proper community. Because like I said earlier, most of our friends and family and our, and our relatives and our close loved ones don't understand what the experience is like. And that can really take its toll on us and make us feel isolated. And I think, yeah, like, the, like you said, the big piece is, is knowing that you're not alone and, and being a part of a community. And that's what I'm really excited about about providing that. Yeah. I think one of the things too, that you kind of touched on and I'll put it, phrase it in a different way, but you touched on is like when I, when I started that new job, I didn't feel like I had a scoreboard to look to Mm. or a coach that was giving, I mean, we get so, I mean, we're kind of a coach me coach kind of 
player, you know, that's who we, that's what's made us great. And we get that feedback. We get, you know, we get, if we do something wrong, we get yelled at on the field and we review it the next day and we get talked to again on how to correct it. And in a game, we, we see the scoreboard and it's got the clock and there's a beginning and the end. And then you get into this business space and you're not getting the feedback. There's no scoreboard to tell you how you're doing. You're looking for feedback, but you're not getting it. You don't want to, you don't want to keep asking, Hey, how, how am I doing? How am I doing? How am I doing? I mean, it's like, so you know, that's yeah, we're it. used to that constant feedback loop on. It actually gives us something to work on every single day and, and know where we're at and where we stand. And it's really difficult to not have that anymore. Yeah. So talk about your journey um, now, because now you are actually um, a part of the, the NFL as an official transition coach, helping guys um, who reach out and need support and kind of counseling. Um, talk about that journey and your experience working with guys and maybe some of the, the biggest challenges guys do face and how, you know, how they do and, and how you provide help to help them work through that and the, the advice you give them. Yeah. So after about eight years, games over, um, you know, working at, on the nonprofit side of trying to help guys with transition, um, I got burnt out. I was tired. Um, I had my PhD. I'd always wanted to try teaching. So, uh, I pitched, I, I just went and cold called and pitched an idea to our local community college to teach a sport and society class. And they liked the idea of it. Uh, you know, I had to put my presentation together and go talk to somebody and get a syllabus and, and they were like, yeah, let's try it and see. And so I've been teaching for 10, 10 uh, almost 12 years now. And, uh, and, but but I kept the side up, the, the gamesover.org side up um, until about 2014. Then I just said, you know, I, lo- I love what I'm doing now. I love teaching. And I was coaching high school football. I still do some of that um, now. And um, one of the guys that I helped early on, because we had a conference called The Bridge, um, we did a conference in early 2000s. One of the guys I helped uh, through his own transition was Keith Elias, who now runs the transition program at the NFL. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. So you were, you actually kind of helped him through his transition, and now he's kind of taken over the reins, huh? Yeah. Yeah. That's I mean, great. it's really, you know, ironic. But uh, so he kind of runs that. So he called me up. Uh, I mean, I had just, sh- just shut it down and, like, put it to bed. And, and that was a bit of a loss for me as well because – that, you know, was 10 plus years of really focused energy and effort and passion going into this transition space. And, but, you know, I'd like, I put it, I put it to bed and, you know, kind of like it's done. And so he called me up and I said, you know, Keith, man, I just, I just put the, the stake, I just drove the stake in the heart of this thing and I'm done. And he said, well, think about it and pray about it. So I did, and I was a bit apprehensive, but then went back for, you know, the NFL. We get about 60 to 70 hours of training every couple of years. And uh, so I went back to New York for some training, and I was a little skeptical on how serious they were. But the one question I asked, I said, how serious are you? Are you including the wives, the significant others? Mm-hmm. And they said, yes, we're going to do a conference. We're going to fly them out as well. And I said, okay, they're seem very serious about this. I'm willing to put some energy and effort into this, um, but not for a dog and pony show. It's got to be, got to be serious. So um, that was 2015 uh, in the spring and summer. And then we did our, launched our first um, conference, transition conference for um, NFL players, retired NFL players that fall. So we've been doing this for five years and it just keeps getting better and we keep getting better speakers. And uh, probably the piece that I um, tend to focus on as, as part of the speakers bureau is are the top 10 challenges of transition. And then of course, then we, you know, we get, a, you know, get to, to engage in a relationship with guys, you know, to whatever degree they're willing to, you know, whether it's just, contact or connecting them or, you know, talking with them, encouraging them, you know, helping. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, as you know, um, it's, it's transition mentoring, transition coaching, 
Yeah. What's the, what are some of those 10 challenges or some of the biggest ones that people and guys do face? That's like kind of common uh, theme between most everyone. Well, I think one of the things that that's easy to forget, and we've talked about it today already is loss. I think we meant to, as guys, we tend to minimize that. I know I do because it's like, okay, I've lost the game, get over it and, and focus on, you know, getting better, get going from zero to hero is, you know, going from the outhouse to the penthouse. And so you focus on that. But I don't think that, um, I don't think I did. I don't think players um, do enough um, thinking about what an incredible loss. I mean, if you feel it, but you, I don't know that we spend much time talking about it and grieving it and mm-hmm. understanding that depression's part of that. Um, anger, denial. You know, it's kind of interesting because we'll have other losses in life. And, you know, that Kubler-Ross study that was done so long ago about um, death, the stages of death and dying. Um, yeah, it works if you're, the, if you're the patient that's been given the death sentence. But a lot of times people will use that if they've lost a loved one. But in pro sport career transition, it does feel, I mean, part, a big, your identity has been terminal, given a terminal mm. sentence, right, to some degree. And so you do go through some of that. So um, I think that's easily overlooked. I, but I think the biggest challenge is identity. And you've touched on that today is, you know, um, our athletic identity, how we see ourselves, how others see us, how others relate and, and treat us, um, the devastation that uh, that it would be while we're playing if we ever lost our career and eventually then we do. Yeah. yeah, I think that's huge. Allowing space to actually grieve the loss and, and not try and be busy or fill it with something really quick, but giving it a space and properly grieving it, I think is really important. And it is a hugely missed step. I mean, even for me, when I, when I retired and it, like you said, I was kind of the kind of, I was prepared. I was like the poster child too. Like, I'm really excited. I got this new freedom. And there was a, you know, two sides of me with just like everything, a piece of me was really excited about experiencing that freedom. But then a part of me when I was three weeks after, like, oh man, like, I'm never going to be able to play that again. And it really hit me. And when I hit the road, it was almost a piece of me was kind of running away and distracting myself from that proper grieving process. And it wasn't until about eight months into my road trip when I started thinking about, okay, like, what am I here to do? What's my purpose? And that started trickling back in because I hadn't properly grieved it. It was still kind of hanging over me. And I think there's this, it's almost like you need to create like a ceremonial, like ritualistic transition where it's like you kind of put the old to bed. And I don't think it's about leaving it almost behind but it's about how can we integrate that experience into who we are now moving forward? Because I think a piece of me on my experience is I wanted to kind of run away from that and I didn't properly integrate it and know like I was a football player. I still am a football player. I will be for the rest of my life. It is a piece of who I am and my identity. It's not like I need to forget about it and move on because there's so many amazing lessons that, I mean, football taught me how to be a man. It taught me about who I am and what I'm capable of. And so integrating that into whatever my next experience is, is really important. Because it gives me confidence in knowing that I did reach the highest points. And whatever I put my mind to now, I can really go achieve greatness at. Yeah, I mean, you reminded me of one of the things. Um, uh, I got to know Brent Jones a little bit. And he retired a couple years after I did. Brent Jones from the 49ers, the tight end, the, the uh, Hall of Famer. Hmm. And he invited me to his retirement party. And um, I think a lot of guys don't get that. A lot of guys don't have this this point of of celebration, of remembering, of a marker this, that that acts in so many different ways. It acts as a, a point of celebration and acknowledgement of all the positives, but also is a marker um, of transition as well. And uh, yeah, I think I would encourage guys to think about doing it, you know, there's a hundred different ways to do it, right? Whether it's a small thing or, you know, Brent Jones's, his wife did it. It was just a big thing and lots of people and, you know, Steve Young and Joe Montana and Jerry Rice and, you know, probably owners and, you know, it was a big deal and, you know, big fancy thing, but it doesn't have to be that. It can be as simple as you going, climbing a mountain, you know, and Mm. carrying something up, you know, and something that symbolizes 
a celebration and a marker. Mm. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah, I never really thought about that until you said it. Like it is, I never really had a celebration. It was almost like a piece of me was like, ah, oh, like this thing's over. Part of me is really excited. I'm re- ready to move on from it. But I think that is a really big piece. Even if you get hurt and you get forced out, which you know most guys don't get the opportunity to walk away with this illustrious career where they're a Hall of Famer or whatever, and they they leave and everybody celebrates because they were so good. Most you know, ninety nine percent of guys are they're leaving you know when not on their own terms. And so still finding the space to celebrate what you accomplished, even if you played one year, two years, like you did some amazing things, you had a successful career, even having an opportunity to be a part of it. Um, that's really beautiful. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you had a year or more in the league or even just getting to a, tr- you know, into a training camp, I mm. mean, you, you know, if you get to a training camp and never get a season, I mean, you, you climbed the base camp of Everest, right? Mm. If you get one year in, man, you you know you're one of those few. I bet there's probably been more people climb Everest than have made it in the NFL. Yeah, that's fascinating. Over the last ten years, and I mean that's an amazing accomplishment, right? Mm. I mean, and here's the other thing too that you reminded me of: there is no one that leaves the league. I've never met a person that leaves the league that didn't leave with unfinished business. Mm. I mean, if you if you're a Hall of Famer, did you go to the Super Bowl? If you went to the Super Bowl, did you make the, are you a Hall of Famer? If you did both, did you make two Super Bowls? Did, yeah. there's, I mean, that's part of the, that's just part of the, it's just part of it, right? Is, is what make it, makes us great is we have these high goals. Not all of them are achievable. I don't yeah. know anybody that's, you know, we're professional goal setters, which of course, you know, that transition, that translates and transitions as well also, but. Yeah, even Tom Brady, right? Like he, for him to win so many Super Bowls, he has to continue to show up each each year saying, I, I don't have enough. I still have unfinished business. And without that attitude, he wouldn't win another Super Bowl because he'd feel content. But you have to have that attitude. It's like innate in all of us. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, if you get if you get 10 years, you didn't get 15. If you get 15, you still didn't get 20. If you, you know. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, talk about, let's talk about the, the, the purpose piece. Um, you know, a lot of us, this is our childhood dream. We work our entire lives pursuing greatness, trying to achieve this goal. And a lot of us feel like that's our only purpose in life. And, you know, I truly believe that athletics just teaches us a lot about ourselves. And there's, you know, I truly believe as soon as sports is over and athletics is over, that's when our, our lives are really getting started because we retire at such a young age. So talk about the 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 journey to finding your purpose and what that looks like. And, you know, I like just to mention beforehand, like for me, I feel like it's a very fluid process. It's not like something you find and it's this aha moment. It's you continue to kind of trust what's coming up within your heart and trying new things and going after the things that you really want to, you know, try and create in life. So talk about that journey through your experience and kind of other guys that you've worked with. Well, I think, um, I think one of the fallacies, you know, that we get taught, false beliefs is that we have to find this second career. And so we look at it through the lens of our first career, which is, this is what I was born to do. You know, you start getting to that identity piece again, right? This is what I was born to do. And I'm going to do it as long as I can. And then we go, okay, that when that ends, then we, then we focus on a second career. And I got to now find this, this career or this purpose that I'm going to do for the rest of my life that I was born to do. And that's just, that's a fallacy. That's kind of this false belief of, uh, that, that that's how it works because we're looking at it from the lens of our, of our professional sport career. Yeah. And so I think that's the challenge, right? And, um, yeah, I mean, I went into publishing and then I went into, you know, very passionate about sport career transition and, and I love teaching and I love coaching. Most of the guys I've talked to that have, uh, that are into coaching or tr- as, um, trainers, you know, they, they love that, you know, guys also I've talked, I've worked with guys that are working for police departments and fire departments and they love that. It's kind of mission oriented. You're with the guys. Um, but here's the thing you don't need to do, you don't need to find something you're going to do for the rest of your life. In fact, most guys don't, most guys, 
you know, they'll try this and they'll try that and they like it and something else comes up and they maneuver over. I mean, most people are like that. So, you know, finding a purpose, um, uh, you know, and a new identity, it's, it's like you said, it's a, this fluid process. It, it, it happens throughout our lives, you know, and every time there's a change, right. It challenges, you know, our beliefs about who we are, what we value, what our purpose or our mission here is when you get married, when you have a kid that changes, you know, you're, those are big deals, man. Yeah. Staying open to, you know, what you want to do in the moment, not too worrying too much. It really comes back to presence, right? Like, what do I want to experience now? What do I want to feel? What do I want to challenge myself? What do I want to learn? How do I want to grow? And then I think it'll kind of naturally pull you in the right direction, but staying open to the changes. Cause we all, I mean, we all change. Yeah. Like you said, throughout life and eventually something might not, you know, fuel us the same way it did. And, being okay to honor and let go of it if it's something and not attaching to it and allowing the new to come in. I think that's going to add a ton of value to guys. And I really appreciate you sharing. Um, I selfishly kind of want to ask, because when I was growing up watching football as a kid, one of my favorite players was Brett Favre. And I just loved the way he played, showed up. Um, and obviously Reggie White and all these amazing guys you played with. So what was it like, you know, playing with, with Brett? Well, I think... Um you know, in that spring before we won the Super Bowl, um, I could tell for the first time that we had something special going on. And it was because guys like Brett um, and Reggie White um, and, and Brett had just come off of an MVP. He, he was the MVP. I think he was the MVP the year before that uh, of the league. And guys were willing to put the, their own egos and themselves on the back burner, you know. But he's, but Favre's just like, you know, you know how it is. Guys are just how they are, man. I mean, guys are, and he's pretty much what you see is what you get kind of guy, you know? And, and it was, uh, it was an honor, you know, to have spent, you know, five years playing with him, uh, and watching him develop. I mean, he came in as we got him from, uh, after his rookie year with the Falcons where he sat the bench and he had, you know, challenges coming out of college with an uh, automobile accident and, you know, and watching him develop and, and becoming the Brett Favre that we most remember, but to see him doing that, um, not, not so much on the field because he, he has the talent for that, just like we have talent for that. Right. But, um, to, to watch him go through life, his own life journey of, marriage and kids and you know when his when his dad passed away um uh during the season and uh his challenges you know with um addiction uh, to opioids and you know all those things um and how he's handled that i mean that's just remarkable so uh, yeah i love brett great guy yeah just a human being with the same struggles that we all go through right exactly with great yeah. talent <laughs> to be a <Yeah>. quarterback <laughs> Oh, amazing. I love it. What was the, the difference on that, that team? So you won the Super Bowl your last year or second yeah. last year, I guess. Yeah. Before you left. What was the, what was the difference on that team that, you know, got you guys over the hump that you noticed like the energy of it or the leadership or the way you guys bought in in a different way? What was the thing that you could point to? I think, um, getting talent, right. And, and, uh, Ron Wolf is the general manager. I mean, when I first got to Green Bay, we didn't have a general manager. So we didn't have an owner. We didn't have a general manager. Um, and we got a new president, right? And the president said, we're going to get a general manager and I'm going to let him hire the coach. I think before that, it had been kind of a, how are we going to survive as a small team in a small market in kind of a 1960s mindset still from the Bart Starr Ray Nitschke era. And, uh, and so, um, getting the right people and then, um, just, a uh, an organizational shift of leadership from the top on all the way down. And then the players, um, saying, you know, Hey, we're, we're going to love and we're going to respect, or we're going to work hard and, and, and put ourselves, our own egos on the back burner for the good of the team. So you just kind of felt that momentum building. Was that an old kind of way the systems worked before? It was like most teams didn't have a general manager or president. They didn't treat it as much of a 
like the business in the front office? Like, or, and that was something that you were a part of as a, as a transition throughout the whole league, or is that just specifically the Packers? No, I mean, I think it was, I think the Packers were a few decades behind. I mean, when I, when I first got there, you know, in the eighties, uh, there was a new release in the movie theaters called gone with the wind. Yeah. You know, I mean, we're just so, it was, we were so far behind, you know, when, when I went from USC to the Packers, it was a step down. It was a step down in the facilities. It was a step down in the weight room and the coaches and the, and the medical, it just, the whole thing was a step down. Uh, now, um, and, you know, and that was when the 49ers, you know, with Joe Montana were winning on the Super Bowls and they were, you know, they had raised the level of facilities and pra- how they practiced, you know, after, uh, you know, with, with shells or no, or no pads at all, you know, and we were sitting there, uh, trying to do it the 1960s style 20 years later, doing full scrimmage late in the season on a Friday short yardage and goal lineage and you know wow yeah yeah you got to evolve right i mean especially with the, the physical beating and once the talent kind of continues to elevate in the league like people's bodies have to perform at such a higher level to be at their peak performance during the game time right and you realize that the games are the most important and the athletes are good enough to be ready for those games you have to make sure they're they're healthy enough yep exactly yeah. I really appreciate you taking the time. Um, I know this is going to add a ton of value to anybody, you know, former athletes going through the transition, athlete, current athletes that might be preparing for the transition, and even, you know, normal people that are going through a big transition in life, knowing that it's totally normal and, um, you know, to continue to trust themselves and, and find the right kind of support. Um, one last question. If you could, you know, have one piece of advice for guys that are, you know, maybe kind of going through the, the deep and dark parts of transition and trying to get their way out of it. What's the one thing you'd tell them or share with them? I would validate this, the, uh, what the three guys gave me as advice. Go, go get counseling. Mm. Call it. And, and I had a tough time with that. So I said, I'm not going to call it marriage counseling because that's what they called it. I'm going to call it transition coaching. I'm going to go find, but, but not, a, not a transition coach like me, a professional. But mm. a good professional that can, because <clears throat> we've got a lot of stuff that uh, that works for us as players, and then once we're out, it doesn't work as well. And and uh, what, what drives us and motivates us as players comes back to challenges uh, to challenge us in transition. Mm. Go get a coach. My man, I really appreciate you taking the time and it's been amazing getting to know you. I know you've provided a ton of value to me personally and I know this podcast will, this conversation will provide value to others. So I really appreciate you taking the time. You're welcome, Joe. Good luck and and keep uh, plugging away, man. What you're doing is so valuable to so many guys. Thanks, brother. guys i hope you guys really enjoyed that conversation with ken he's an amazing guy he's uh providing a lot of value to me personally he's actually on the advisory board of my new company the heart collective which is a community i've been working on for the past year and it provides community for all former male professional athletes who might be going through the unique challenges faced when transitioning out of athletics, out of professional athletics. And the whole point of the community is to provide support and community for guys who want to reach for their highest potential. It's not about guys who are struggling and need help and don't know where to go, although we provide value that way. But it's really for guys who want to and know they can achieve greatness outside of sports and they just need a little bit of direction and a little bit of support from other guys that are familiar with the experience. You know, in my, my journey, when I first left the league, I realized how important it was. And the one thing that was missing was that community and that support, because it's hard to talk to my friends and family and the people that I love about the unique challenges that are faced because they just don't know how to relate to it. So I've decided to build a community, um, you know, uniquely for former professional athletes who are going through similar experiences so that we can provide value to each other 
this community will provide different content, support, education tools. Uh, but the biggest value add is the community. And we're going to have weekly drop-in calls where you can you know, feel safe in this container to express yourself openly, honestly, vulnerably with guys that know what you're going through, whether it's something about your relationship, your purpose, your identity. And we will help support one another on this journey of life. It's a monthly membership. Uh, you can go to theheartcollective.com. That's the H-A-R-T collective.com to learn more. And if you're a former professional athlete, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to me directly uh, or check out the website and apply there. Um, I'd love to get to know you and support you on this journey. The uh, reason I created this community is more for me than it is anyone else because I know this is something that adds a ton of value to my life as well. And we are all in this together. And I really look forward to, to hearing from you. Thanks for listening, guys. And until next time, have a good one.